Pecan Pie. Written by Matthew Wayne. Performed by Douglas Dorda. For Mom and Dad. Calvin Barrow Sr. died outside his Crouch County, Michigan home on the morning of October 13, 2007. He had limped out of the small A-frame that he had built 35 miles outside town and into his side yard to check on the well. The well, which had been on the fritz, was dug in 1972, just months after he had lost his right foot winning a hill that was then surrendered back to the VC mere hours after he and his unit were evacuated from it. He shook the spigot around a bit and maybe walloped it once or twice with the rubber mallet that was found near his body. Maybe not. Either way, he never limped back into his home. His death was written off on the one killer we may all hope takes us. God, Jesus, Yahweh, Jehovah, or, and if you must see it this way, may one of those previously mentioned bless you. Age. Age. That's how Cal Sr. would have seen it. Cal Jr. drove past the Crouch County sign in his old Silverado with his young son Denny buckled in next to him. It was the morning of October 20th, 2007, three days after Cal Sr.'s body had been discovered by the postman and one day after the Crouch County Sheriff had finally tracked Jr. down. Jr. looked out his spider-cracked windshield at the green and gold wasteland ahead and sighed. Fuck. Is this where they grow all the corn? Denny had asked more than once as they drove past field after field over mile on mile. Sometimes the second grader, who looked every bit the part of a shrunken version of the grown man next to him, would add, In the world? As though the coming answer would be absurd and unimaginable to him whether it came as a, Yeah, buddy, that's all the corn in the world. Or, uh, No, pal, there's a lot more corn than that in some other place. Junior didn't so much mind. Not so much at all. It was natural to be so curious. Denny had never seen so much of any one thing before, except maybe concrete. And here there were amber stalks and dirt and big machines and dead gooey possums in the road. When the village of Crouch sprouted up out of that green without warning of its encroachment, it struck the child and the father both like a mirage on the Sahara. Junior turned east on Michigan Street and then north onto the main drag. He stopped the truck outside a brick building with a neon sign in the window that was only half lit, but the words DeVries and Bakery were clear enough to read in the daylight. I need a coffee, Junior said. You want a donut? Denny shook his head up and down and smacked the seat back a time or two as he did. Okay, Junior laughed. Whoa, whoa, boy. Denny settled. I'm gonna regret the hell out of this, but what kind? Raspberry! Deal. When Junior's feet hit the gravel parking lot, it was the first time they had touched the soil of Crouch since 1999. And the moment the Lake Michigan air hit his lungs was the first time he'd regretted his eight-year absence. Not the last. Just the first. The Crouch County offices were only a few blocks from DeVries, and once Denny had finished his Bismarck, Junior figured the two of them could hoof it. Maybe help the boy work off that sugar. Come on, babe, Junior said as he opened Denny's door. Let's go see the sheriff. Don't call me babe in front of the sheriffs, Denny said and shuffled out into the lot. I'm not a baby. Junior laughed and ruffled Denny's hair. What's funny? Denny asked. There ain't sheriffs, Junior said. There's one sheriff, just the one. His name's Oliver, and he has deputies. I remember one. Giant of a man. Hank, I think. Deputies? Denny asked, hand secure in his father's as they walked alongside Kenny Boulevard. Cars passed by the two slowly. Folks smiled. Like assistant sheriffs. Junior said, lifting his boy over the curb and into the lot before the Crouch County complex. Assistant sheriffs? Sure. Job's too big for one dude, I guess. Now, be good in here. I'm always good. That's true, 
Junior said with his hand on the department door handle. So behave, too. I will. Here goes, Junior thought, taking a breath and listening to the bell chime as he opened the door and held it for Denny. That Cal Junior, Sheriff Oliver Sizemore said, coming around a corner of the dispatch center and into the reception area, which was decorated with pumpkins and paper cutouts of goofy monsters for the season. He flashed a warm smile, still formidable at 50 and showing no signs of slowing down. Sure is, Sheriff, Junior said. This is my boy, Denny. Good to meet you, kid, the sheriff said, squatting down to look Denny in the face. You call me Ollie. You okay with that? Yes, sir, Denny said. Yes, who? Ollie said. Yes, sir, Ollie, Denny said and smiled his shy smile. <laughs> Good enough for me, Ollie laughed and looked up at Junior and back to Denny. Well, you two hombres better come on back to my office. Ollie stood and motioned casually for them to follow. Are there bad guys? Denny asked, hand in his father's as the three of them slow walked the short hallway, passing three doors, each with a busy deputy inside. Ollie's office at the end of the hall, looking out over everything. Nah, Ollie said with a turn back to Denny and a wink. No bad guys. Junior and Denny followed Oliver through the threshold and sat down in a pair of leather chairs opposite Ollie's large desk, cluttered with papers and manila folders and a red pack of cigarettes which the sheriff covered with a paper as he sat down on his throne. Well, it's good to see you, Cal, Oliver said while rummaging through his desk drawers one after the other. Though I wish it was under better circumstances. How long has it been? Eight years. And how old are you? Oliver asked, smiling to Denny and sliding a chocolate bar across the cluttered desk. Denny looked to Junior and Junior nodded to the candy and shrugged. Seven. That's a good age, Junior. I'm not a Junior, Denny said. Oliver laughed and so did Junior, and even though he didn't know why, Denny chuckled too. Seven years, Oliver said. Fire department could have used you all that time. Can't do volunteer, Junior said. I understand, Oliver said. Not much opportunity out here. I'm lucky. I know. Most everyone's got to go somewhere else for work. Sometimes a drive home can be a therapy of sorts, Junior said. Let's the day wash off a bit. Oliver nodded in a knowing way. Denny chewed his candy and made small foil balls with torn up bits of the foil paper. He tossed two across the stacks and piles on Ollie's desk and made laser screeches and crater sounds with his half-full mouth. Denny, Junior began, what did I tell you? Should aim them shots, son, Oliver interrupted with a smile, pointing to the trash can in the near corner. See if you can hit the basket. I call it trash ball, and a make is worth a clean three points from your seat. Yes, sir, Denny said a little too loud and began firing tin balls at the can. So, you remember your way back to your old man's place? Oliver asked, turning back to Junior. Don't think I could forget it, Junior said. Well, it's sure out of the way. As he insisted, Junior said, a wash of anger pinching his face. What's on your mind? Oliver asked, kicking back in his chair. Mom. Ollie nodded deep and closed his eyes a moment. She come from Montgomery, eh? Sure did. Alabama, Oliver said. You know, she used to bake the department of pecan pie every Thanksgiving because my old man hated pumpkin. I didn't know about your dad's pie preference, but I remember her baking, Junior said while Denny sank a trash ball and pumped his fist in celebration. Nice shot, kid, Oliver said and then turned back to Junior. She continued the tradition after I took over, while she was still here. God rest and bless. And that's even though I love pumpkin, Ollie laughed. Junior smiled, the corners of his mouth pushing away the invasion of a lower feeling. Some woman, Ollie said, your mom. World is less without her in it. And from where I stand, it seemed your dad loved her as much as any man has ever loved. Much as he loved that stretch of dirt? Twenty miles closer to St. Bonnie's wasn't going to save her. 
You ain't no doctor and neither am I, but we both know enough to know that. Maybe if he had moved closer to town, Junior said, his eyes shifting around the room, one of them would be alive yet, even if it was just him. Oliver nodded. The two sat a while and Denny carried on bouncing a foil ball on his palm. I used to see him, Oliver said, over at Eastside Ted's, the barber, when I was stopping in for a trim. That stretch of land was some kind of sacred to him, religious almost, if he had any of that in him. I'd say he reminded me of my own dad a bit, brave and steadfast and superstitious as a goddamn. The sheriff shook his head and nodded to heaven. Dad got sick, so it all got worse as he aged. But he believed in thin spots. He had a saying. Not a popular one of any kind, mind you, but he at least would say it a lot. Never know what the big water's gonna churn up, but it'll sure churn. I've found that to be true out here. That and a thousand other strange things. And so, your old man thought a chunk of his soul was in that place. Who am I to say otherwise? Your mama thought so, too, from what he would say over the drone of the clippers and that vibrating massage thing old Eastside is always shilling for the extra fifty cents. You remember that thing? Oliver held his hand shoulder-width out in front of him. Like a leather-coated anvil. Never saw the use for it, but some folks do, and it was loud as hell. But I'd still hear your dad telling me all about the feelings your mama'd get out there, and only there. Junior waved in defeat. Oliver raised his hands in surrender. Denny tossed a tinfoil ball that bounced on the rim of the can and fell to the short carpet. The same short carpet in every office like this the world over. Well, here's my keys and my card, Ollie said, handing them over. It's got my cell on it. Give me a ring when you leave and I'll come by and grab the keys out of the mailbox. Junior nodded. Denny fired another shot and sank it. Three points, Denny hollered, fingers pointing to heaven. Both men chuckled. I'm going to pay for that chocolate bar, Junior said. In the end. Of course not, Oliver winked. It's all in the house. Corn. A wrong turn. Are we there yet? More corn. How much further? Not much. Now... Woods. Denny wasn't sure when it had occurred, but at some point the man-made fields had given way to the wilderness and grown long. The grasses gave way to stocky saplings and then hardwood trees. Some may have kissed the sky from what he could have seen through the windshield. Then the road that had been bearing straight and long as the road to hell itself finally took a left turn. Denny pressed his face to the window and smeared the glass. He stared through the skeletal wood, already in the throes of fall, and watched the deep-set homes, trailers and McMansions, one after another without discrimination, go by like a flipbook. And then the whole roadside was the flipbook. Animals scurried deep in the thick as they went by, all of them recognizable as rabbits or raccoons or deer despite their missing frames, but somehow sporting strange additions a third eye or a fifth leg, where there should have only been memory or some other evidence of what had been subtracted by the passing trees. Dad? Yeah, pal. Are the animals here? Denny paused and swallowed. Weird? Nah, but there's a lot more of them than you're used to seeing back home. Are there bears? Maybe, Junior said, but not too many. Denny tucked his knees into his shirt and kept his eyes from the windows the rest of the ride. A trapdoor opened in Junior's guts and gravity taunted his heart when the yellow siding and green roof of his childhood home came into view through the pine Senior had planted when the construction was done. The single-story home had hardly changed in the years since Junior had last seen it. Junior spotted the weeded mouth of the driveway in his peripheral as he went speeding by and threw the truck in reverse and back down the gravel drive, truck rattling away. This is Grandpa's house? Denny asked as they bounced down the undulating path. Sure is, Junior said. 
And you lived here? You bet. When you were little? Littler than you even, Junior said, throwing the truck into park in front of the garage and staring at the cream-colored steel door. Be careful getting out. Driveway's uneven. Denny slid out of the truck and Junior led him round the garage to the side door. Junior tried the knob. Locked. What's that smell? Denny asked as Junior fished for the key in his pocket. Shit, Junior said and jammed the key into the lock and fought away the butterflies. No, bats in his chest before he opened the door. That's a bad word, Denny said. Not out here it ain't, Junior said, thumbing the garage light. There was Senior's 87 Ford. It had once been blazing red, but the years had faded its brilliance the same way they had done to so many things in Crouch. That's some truck, Denny said. Is it a fire truck? No, Junior said. Just Grandpa's truck. Ours now? Denny asked, touching silver door handles. To look after, Junior said. But that will always be Grandpa's truck. Follow me, boy. One more rattle of Senior's old key ring, and then they were inside. The light's still on, dimmed in amber, as his mother would have insisted, even though the place was empty. Can't come home to a dark house, she would say in her Alabama drawl, and no sense in it. The smell of pecan pie hit Junior like a straight right, and he shot an instinctive look across the white tile floor to the entryway and spied the oven. The same old oven. No lights. All dials at zero. Junior was inside. Inside his home. Inside himself. There had been a wall to the right of the doorway walking in for the first 14 years of his life. And then one day, after his mother's passing, he came home from school and the wall was all but gone. Piles of plaster on the tile floor. He kicked off his shoes, perhaps compelled by the scent, and made his way across the cold white tiles and into the living area where the tiles gave on to hardwood beneath his feet. There had once been carpet, but the old man had changed his mind at one time or another, and out it came. And then the old man ran out of wood. So, the places where the bear tracks poked through were lava for a month or so, Senior had said. And Junior, despite being too old for that, played along with the game until the job was finished. The walls had been white, but years of two packs a day had turned them a different color. Junior, still leading Denny by the hand but hardly thinking of the boy, was now staring at a horde of pictures and frames on what had once been a dining room table. Most of them serving only as tributes to the dust that caked their glass windows. One clean, cared for, her, mom. The pecan smell came again, but more delicate now than the punching way it had come when he entered the old ranch. Just a touch, a feeler, a look-see. Junior looked around for a scented candle or a plug-in freshener, but found nothing. He and Denny stood there looking at the woman he had been missing for longer now than he had ever known her alive. She was younger there in that memorial glass than he had ever known her, hair curled and blazing red in the places she had always dyed it, her smile wide, her spectacles too big. Dad, Denny said. Junior only stared. Mom. Her eyes were just like his and just like Denny's, and they pulled at him, and he needed her again there to make him laugh or hold his hand to cross the road, and there was no one. Dad? Denny asked, and Junior knew wherever he was inside, it was time to come back for a while. He knew it like someone wiser had whispered it softly, where only he could hear it. What's on your mind, son? Junior asked. Are we going to pack up some of Grandpa's stuff or what? Yeah, buddy, Junior said, now rooted in time. Yeah, let's get to work. He put an arm around Denny and squeezed. Squishing me, Denny croaked. Get tough then, 
Junior said and lifted his son and planted a kiss on his forehead and put him down. Which room does Grandpa keep the Hot Wheels in? Denny asked, rubbing away the place his father had kissed him. I told you about that? Junior asked, a wistful smile on his face. Denny shook his head, looking straight up at him like a bobble. Come on, I'll show you. Junior pointed to the third and furthest door in the short hallway, and Denny took off like a rocket that dragged Junior behind. There it was, Senior's collection and a run of orange and yellow track. Father and son had spent hours in this room. Nothing about that time any less than sacred to Junior now. A pang of guilt in his chest. Morning time lost again a thing he could never have back. Time. Perhaps the first sprinter, and faster than all challengers. Denny, he said from the doorway while the boys seized the die-cast cars off the shelves that lined the walls of what should have been a den or office if his father had been a different sort of man. Listen up. Listening, Denny said without looking up from the lamplight reflections off a 68 fastback. Don't open any of the stuff my dad never opened, he said, and scanned the shelves for anything a child shouldn't touch. He stashed an ashtray in a drawer and continued, As for everything else, if you can reach it without climbing anything, I think you're cool to play with it. Can I keep this one? Denny asked, still eyeing the 68 in his hands. You bet, Junior said. Better get it on the track. That one's fast. Junior wandered back to the guest bathroom in the far corner of the car room, checking for paper and soap, and was greeted by a familiar friend. The smell of earth and skunk and the faint hint of gasoline. It was a scent he had all his life associated with Dad's bathroom, and one teenage evening, he found out the groovy way that the odor was indeed marijuana. There was the day that Senior found Junior's stash some of which Junior bought at school, but most of it had been pinched from Senior's own stash box in the half-bath. Junior knew someone had been in his Red Wings tin from the broken strip of scotch tape on the side, and Mom had been long buried by then. No grass was missing. Nothing was ever said. What could Senior have said? Junior rummaged through the small cabinet in the corner opposite the sink and found the source of the odor. He pocketed the sandwich bag with the lone doobie inside and then meandered back to Denny. Stay in this area till I come back, Junior said. There's a bathroom back there. I gotta go outside. Junior thumbed the bag in his pocket. Gotta check on the well. The well? Denny asked. Sheriff Ollie said it might be acting up. Okay, Denny said, driving the fastback with one hand and a classic police cruiser with the other. Who's winning? Junior asked. No one yet, Denny said. Haven't decided. Junior smiled. You get all I told you about the rules? Junior asked. Got it, Dad, Denny said, cars on pause, a small edge to his voice. Okay, Junior laughed and kissed Denny again in the place the boy had only just made dry. Denny rolled his eyes. Junior headed for the back door and then out to the yard. His back to the windows, he carefully retrieved the joint and the lighter and sparked up and went walking. The smell and taste of Dad's homegrown brought him closer to the old man, or brought the old man closer to him. He wasn't sure which, but either way, it was as if they were walking that mole-hilled yard together. Junior had learned to catch a football here, Senior throwing spirals the same at 40 as he had at 17 on a different field. And to pitch over there. Fastballs against a fence he'd made his mother watch while his father grilled on the patio. Joint half-ash now. Dad beside him in his flannel jacket and light blue jeans. Junior held the smoke in his left hand, almost dangling it there for the specter of his old man to take, if he so chose. Junior made for the well, the above-ground portion anyway and tapped the gauge like he had seen the old man do. Everything appeared fine. Another puff. Another. Fingers and lips burned. Jesus, 
he said, now remembering his 21st birthday and the first smoke the two cows had ever shared, and what his father had said to him when it grew short and roached. He said it aloud now for the both of them. Careful, it's got teeth. He took one last puff and exhaled and savored the skunk smell on the wind that blew back in his face before he stamped the roach out in the soil. Beats me, Dad, he said to the cool wind and the clouds that hung low and flat. Why you came out here that day, but I'm glad you did. Who knows when they would have found you otherwise. I hate to think it could have been worse. And finally, after a time, I'm sorry. I waited too long. He turned in the crisp grass, a corkscrew through the cool air, and went back inside. Denny was making his fourth circuitous lap around the small house while Junior thumbed through the cluttered living room. An oak stereo cabinet with attached drawers full of old records. A box of yellowed photographs teetered on the last speaker in the cabinet, photos strewn this way and that inside it and jutting out at odd angles. Some Polaroid, but most developed the old way. A dusty TV and two leather recliners and a cluttered coffee table between them. Junior sat in his father's chair, the most worn of the two, and fiddled with the clutter on the table. Under some magazines for enthusiasts of model trains and antique hull pottery was an open photo album. And there was Junior, captured in another time. His arm around Liz Kelly, his date for homecoming and prom, and a face he never saw again once that final summer turned to fall. He was rail thin and smiling wide, and she was somehow more beautiful than he had remembered. Is that you? Denny asked, sneaking up beside him. You bet, Junior said. Might be a look into your future. What's that mean? Nothing. Who is that with you? Denny asked. That's not Mom, Denny said, childlike horror in his voice. No, Junior chuckled. Your mom and I met later, thank God. The me you're looking at there was a moron. Denny laughed the way kids do when they don't know what they're laughing at. Hey, did you have a cat when you were a kid? A gray one? Denny asked. Bones. Good little guy. Cute, too. When you lived here? Denny asked. You bet. Junior said and dropped down to look his son in the eye. I'm not sure, but I don't think I ever told you about him. You haven't, Denny said. Junior grasped Denny by the shoulder and gave him a gentle squeeze and swatted him lightly on the back, and then the boy was off again for lap number five. Junior stared a while at the photo. Lap seven came in at a record time. Denny was sure and he was sure he could go faster still. Lap eight started as he passed through the kitchen entry, once round the island and then same round the table. He wrangled his weight coming out of the turn and rocketed down the hall to the master bedroom where he rounded back up the hall and then into the living room and around the twin chairs, arms pumping at his sides, shoes tied just right. Around the coffee table and his father lost in time and frozen still and no match for Denny's great speed. And then down the final straight and through the kitchen again for a new record and the start of lap nine. When Junior looked up from the album and out the picture window that gave on to the west and the pines outside, the sun was orange and low in the sky. Denny showed no sign of slowing. What lap you on, son? Junior asked. Twenty, Denny called out, voice breathless and dopplered, on his way round the coffee table. Make it twenty-one and then come round and let me speak to you. Denny tore through the circuit one more time and then came bouncing back to his father. I made a record, Denny said. Think you beat mine? Junior asked, hand over his heart like he'd been shot with an arrow. I used to be pretty dang fast. I'm faster. I'm inclined to say that's unlikely, son, Junior said, but somehow I feel like I should just take your word for it. You're just too chicken to race me, Denny said, rocking on his heels. Okay, kid, Junior said. Guilty as charged. I knew it. 
You know, Grandma and Grandpa's property is huge, Junior asked, making his arms wide. Want to go walk it with me for a while? I don't know, Denny said, looking round at all the stuff and tracking something along the floor that was both quick-moving and, if tangible at all, skilled at hiding its form from adult eyes. Come on, dude, Junior said. There's some train tracks out there that run right through the trees. It's like a tunnel of pines. Really? Denny asked as he rocked his heels on hardwood. Junior nodded. Like God built it himself. In the yard? Sure, technically, but you can't see him from here. Gotta go out a ways. Maybe, Denny said, looking back to the car room like he hadn't got his fix of that drug before the sugar hit his system and sent him running. Grandpa used to work on the train that ran them tracks, Junior said. He loved leaning on the horn in that stretch through the pines, summertime when school was out. And me and my mom, your grandma, were home. We could hear him go by. We knew he was thinking of us. Nature's tunnel, he'd call it. And he'd just go screaming through. Was the horn loud? Louder than any damn thing you ever heard, boy, Junior said and they both nodded with the understanding of older men. He got that job when he was still basically a kid. Love that stretch through the woods here, Junior continued. So much that he knew he had to buy some of it for him and my mama when he got home from V... Uh, there's a pond, too, out there somewhere. Junior searched the back of his eyelids for some long-gone memory. Are there fish? Denny asked. Only one way to find out, Junior said. You game? Denny nodded. Go on out to the truck and get your coat on. Wait for me out there. It's not winter, Denny protested. It's winter enough, Junior said, arms folded and picturing all the times his own father had done the same. Fine, Denny said and sulked his way out the door. Junior looked around a moment at the high ceilings and dim lighting and smiled at the photo of his mother and followed after Denny. Leaves broke beneath Denny's feet as he stepped out of his grandfather's gravel drive and into the wild. They rattled and cracked like a million knuckles all at once. He looked down a hill and out upon the sleeping meadow around them. Yellow, orange, and brown leaves lay curled on themselves among the bald hardwood before him. A field of poison spiders and he a knight on some quest for love or glory. And so he charged into the arachnids like any good knight would, down the great hill, dead ahead for the tree line and smashing leaves beneath his feet as he went. Slivers of setting sun now sawing through the birches and stinging his eyes. He stomped and bent and snatched his foes from the ground and tossed their shards into the cool wind. He leapt in great two-footed bounds that saw him vanquish battalions of his enemy all at once when his feet thunked back to the ground. Then into the trees, a last enemy stronghold where some sentries still clung to the otherwise naked branches. Ignoring the labored breathing and desperate hollers of his father behind him, who was doing his best to keep up and waving a small parka over his head. Sir Slashingham had no need of a father in the face of this scourge, and no need for a coat. Slashingham sprinted ahead. Nothing would stop him. Nothing could stop him. Through a pack of pines and then another. Left turns fed onto rights and dashes forward now into a meadow of bald and skeletal trees, his back to one now, taking cover against another herd of spiders that stood out from the faded green landscape like knobs of Indian corn. He looked around his stanchion and spied the mass of amber and orange rustling together and recognized it all as one mottled spider with massive limbs there beneath the trees and the skeletons of trees. Fear burned in his belly. A thing that size could make off with him. And if it did, could his father even see such a thing to track it to whatever dark hole it called home? Could a grown-up vanquish such a foe? This all rattled inside of him like die, Yahtzee. And beneath all that rattling, a voice inside him hollered, 
You're seven, not some six-year-old baby, and you know dang well that rustling out there is just the wind. But Denny never heard a word of it. Not really. He stood there with his back pinned against the bark, pinned for his life, little rips forming in his shirt, pips of fabric stretching away like strands of cotton candy and escaping on the wind like a late autumn county fair as he peeled around the corner slowly. On came his father, finally catching up, and Denny felt a burgeoning bravery in his heart at the sight of the older man. And so he dashed out from the ramparts and into the reaches of the giant spider, a sword stick in his right hand, held out forward. Charge! he hollered out for the world to hear. He was only feet away from the arachnid now, fear boiling again, but his father's coming footfalls pushed the feeling away. This beast may take him, but it would not touch his kin. He loped his sword stick underhand at the low, belly-crawling monster and whipped his arm back skyward and watched as the blade blocked the sun and the orange and brown and amber bits of the spider found the breeze and floated away. The monster rattled at his feet, shifted toward him in a great lurch and covered his ankles. Down with the blade again, the spider recoiled. Denny howled. Thrust after thrust in the vitals of the beast, leaves scattered all around with each blow, Denny now buried to the knees in them, slashing away. He hollered again, low in pitch, as much a man's voice as his small body could manage. He turned his blade downward, the hilt near his face, and drove a final blow into the monster at his feet. Exhausted, Denny dropped his blade. The monster rattled and then went still, and the boy knight fell into its remains. You get it? Junior called. No answer came. Denny! No answer from the pile. Sir, slashing him! Junior called. Fine! Denny hollered. You're safe to pass. Oh! Junior said, feeling relief. That's good to know. Got your coat here. Damn it, Denny said. That's a swear word, Junior said. Not out here it isn't, Dad, Denny said. Not out here. Junior smiled. Junior had just about buttoned Denny's coat when the snow came. Dad, it's snowing, Denny hollered, and the holler bounced around the wild and faded into the falling white. Sure is. Junior said, tugging Denny's jacket tight. Really coming down, too. How? Denny asked. It's the lake, Junior said. The big water. How big? Denny asked, tracking the falling flakes like they were made of some precious material. In kiddom, the first snow was precious, and that that perspective is ever lost was a tragedy that Junior had grown numb to before Denny came into the world. And he was now feeling it all again. Day by day. Little heartbreaks. Little reminders of what was gone. Big, Junior said. I'll show you soon. They both watched the falling flakes now, Junior holding Denny's shoulder. Okay, Junior said. We better get back. These freak storms get dense fast. Okay, Denny said. Keep close, Junior said. He gazed about the wilderness around them, searching for any sign of where they had come from. But every crunched leaf and muddy footprint, every sign of Sir Slashingham's deeds, were already blanketed in white. Which way? Denny asked. Which way was that beastie running? Denny pointed over Junior's shoulder. Well then, Junior said, I guess we go the other. Junior pointed off trepidation boiling in his guts, and Denny ran into the wood. Slow down, Junior called after, snow blanketing his face and a trickle of meltwater running down his nostrils and pooling in his throat. But Denny was already a dark blue smudge darting around a thicket of half-bald willows in the distance. Junior took off after, almost to the willows, Denny coming into view between crystals gathered in his lashes. He reached out into a white infinity, 
clumsy and hopelessly wiping away the flakes of the oncoming flurry like they were rushing mayflies. Loosed willow wilts festooned the clearing ahead, curled and browned and flower-dusted like croissants spilled at some picnic long ago. They crunched beneath his feet. Denny rounding the rim of the ovular clearing. Denny? Junior hollered. Get back here. Denny ran faster. Ain't messing around here, Junior huffed quietly, running out of gas. And then, in a switch of strategy, bellowed gamely. I'm gonna get you slashing him. Denny squealed and tripped in the snow and sprang back up and disappeared behind the widest willow. Junior took off at a diagonal through the snowed-in knoll. The ground had left him by the third step, gravity taking hold. And what was cold was now colder. And wet. His testicles clenched, lungs shrank, his brain tingling. Something in him shouted, Kick! It made no sense to him, not with his brain numb in the impossible cold not with the air driven from him like a bike pump. The shouting came again. Kick! He lunged and went nowhere, his legs cold-welded at the knees. He kicked from the hip and rose a foot or two in the icy bath he had fallen into. Something dark passed by him, motion smoother than anything that wasn't born swimming could manage and larger than any pond-dweller the world over. He might have pissed down there, if he had been conscious long enough to behold the dark swimmer's second pass. Denny peered around his cover to find his father had disappeared, and what he thought was a field was sloshing rhythmically from a distant point. Dead leaves rising and falling. He rubbed at his eyes and tried to see the curled things as snakes or slugs or any living, moving thing he might find on a knoll, but they were dead leaves. He couldn't see them as anything more. He seized a long, whip-like branch from under his feet, the snow stinging his fingertips. He turned on his heels, balancing the ten-foot switch in his hands, feet slipping beneath him. He dashed out to where the pond was undulating most. He rounded the edge of the water, ankles straining to hold him upright as his heels slipped closer to the waterline with every step. Air bubbles broke the surface just ahead, and Denny slid to the bankside like he had just stolen second base, gashing his cheek with the willow switch. He rolled onto his belly and thrust one end of the switch into the water. The wood in his hands tugged downward. Denny's feet dug a trail in the grass behind him as the rest of him was pulled forward, his lips nearly touching the snowy leaves that danced with the cold water. Then his father's hand broke the murky skin. Dad! Denny screamed. He grabbed hold of the stiff hand, felt the calluses and rough skin. He turned and heaved toward solid ground with every last surge his small frame could offer but it was his hollering that drove his father's will below the cold water skin that now rippled like a whale was breaching. Junior emerged holding the switch like a lead and took no more than two steps before collapsing in the snow and mud, cracking leaves on his way down. Denny, exhausted, crawled to Junior's side and knowing no better, began pounding his father's chest and crying out for help. Junior opened his eyes all at once with the sound of struggle nearby. Some war of clanks and clatters in chorus, or perhaps opposing each other in that space. The idea tickled a long, dormant part of his imagination. The clanks versus the clatters, a Hatfields and McCoys for his own time and space. The smell of cinnamon and butter and heat greeted Junior next and he realized he had his head down like a schoolboy stealing a nap. The dark wood panels of the kitchen table where he had taken his daily breakfast were cool against his cheek. The floor ahead white tiles with cherry-red centers that led an easy path to the counter with the Tomcat cookie jar. He sat straight up and eyed the jar. 
He shifted his chair back just so and stood quiet as anything in all of kiddom, but was thwarted by a voice. Don't even think about leaving, mister, a woman with a musical drawl called from behind him, from the battlefield. Excuse me? Junior asked, sitting down straight and still, back stiff against his chair, his voice small and high and strange in his throat. You heard me, the woman said. You're needed. I am? Junior asked. The sweet and salty aroma of caramel and butter and roasting nuts filling his nostrils. Yes, the woman said with the burden of some heavy thing in her voice, but only for a moment. You, so you just sit tight while I fix this mess you made. The rustling behind him heightened and she shrieked to something unknown to him. Get out of here. And then, ain't your time. And then louder. You wait your turn. Her voice turned musical again as she said, When I'm finished with this nonsense, I'll get you something good to eat. Then from behind him there came a heavy thud and a following rattle. His mind made the image of this Alabama woman tossing some wrestler, Andre the Giant maybe, down a stairwell lined with pots and pans. Junior spun to catch a glimpse of the ruckus, to see if the true version matched the movie in his head, but was thwarted yet again. You keep your eyes forward, the woman said. This back here, it ain't for you. Not yet for a while, anyway. Junior kept his eyes forward as the sound of rattling metal and buckling wood all crescendoed into cacophony, and then the noise died. Struggle ceased. Carmel strong in his nostrils. Well, the woman said, still behind him, but her voice closer than before. I guess that's settled. You'll be on your way home in a matter of time now. Home, he thought. He was home. Finally home. He could feel it for the first time since she died. He didn't care what anyone said. He couldn't leave it now. Yes, home she said, and Junior recoiled at the idea that she had somehow heard him thinking. As I said, she continued, ever closer to his ear, but he kept his eyes pinned forward, as he was told. You've things to do, appointments to make, people to see. You'll understand soon enough. She touched him, and he knew it sure before she rounded into view. Mom? he said. Hey, kiddo, she smiled, curly red hair like he'd only seen in pictures. Been too long, but you're just in time, pie's about done. She smiled and turned to the oven. I miss you, he said. No, we miss you too, boy, she said, placing a steaming slice of pecan pie in front of him. Okay, you let that cool a bit. It's still got teeth yet. We? he asked. Yes, son. Your dad, all your grandparents, and... Well, yes, everyone. He might have thought of Denny, or of a million things that had come into his life since the woman across from him had left it. But he didn't. He just watched her watch him, and after a while she slid the plate closer to him. Less steam now. It's ready for you she said. Thank good thoughts. Junior took a bite and let the sweet mixture fill him with memories of her. What other kind are there? he asked. She said not. She stood and kissed his forehead and was gone. And then, so was he. The white tiles of the kitchen floor gave way to uneven dirt. Snow-covered white, but no cherry-red centers. Something whacked him in the chest, and then in the crotch, which sent him upright and wailing with pain. And then there was Denny, muddy and shocked and relieved as Junior had ever seen him, tears in his eyes. The sun was gone, the world now a hazy silver, the blinding sheen of an early autumn evening. Denny made to hug him, but Junior held a hand up gently. No, no, pal, he said. 
You'll get wet. That's bad. Stay dry. Denny nodded. Junior fought a shiver in his spine, but shook scattershot at the hips despite his efforts. So? Denny asked. So what? Junior asked, making his best attempt at wringing out his wet clothes without removing them. Were there any fish? Denny asked, a smile breaking over his face. Sure, Junior said, a cold laugh in his chest. Big ones. What do we do now? Denny asked, and Junior managed to conceal the fact that the same question had been burning in his own mind. You helped me off my ass, Junior said, extending his hand, and we head back to Grandpa's place. Denny extended his hand and Junior pushed himself off the ground and the two of them headed the direction they had been going before Junior found the pond. Denny was slower going now than he had been and Junior suspected this came down to exhaustion. But there was this nagging voice ringing out from the place his neck screwed into his skull. It said, you're slowing him down and he ain't gonna make it with you on his back. He gonna make it without me? Junior asked aloud. Denny spun to look at him and Junior motioned forward, shaking his head. Eyes up, son, he said. Watch for signs of people. Denny turned back to the path ahead and Snow sideswiped them both. They needed shelter, needed home, and Denny could move faster. Junior knew it. Faster, son. Junior called out, his air nearly empty, wet shirt freezing to his chest and heavy on his lungs, pulling them into his guts. Denny would not pick up his speed. He kept close to his father behind, turning back here and there to make sure the imagined tether between them was intact and slacking. Too slow, the voice came again. He's gonna die waiting on you. The way the side-falling crystals of ice and snow mixed in the air and clung to the pines and bare birches would have been beautiful in some picture. The white and green and amber of it all. Christmas come early. But to Junior now, it was a white sand desert. New Mexico. The land of enchantment. Slower still now, Junior's feet only coming off the snowy ground just so. Denny turning back, silhouetted in the moonlight. To hear you come, the voice, maybe Junior's own, said. No further. Junior slipped down to one knee, wet and cold and shaking like the smallest branches in the trees above him. Denny rushed to him and tugged his hand, but Junior would not budge. He just watched the boy through the snow that was slowly blanketing his eyes. Dad? Denny cried and pulled. We have to keep going. You do, son. I... I can't go any further. There came a rumble from out ahead. Tons and tons of metal grinding on metal, rolling forward and defying God and nature with every inch. Junior wrote it off as some hallucination, same as his mother must have been. Then came the horn. You hear that? Junior asked, eyes showing life, voice burning fire. Maybe, Denny said, pointing at the pines ahead. You hear it, Junior said, and then pointed too. I know it. Now you know it. Go. Run. Dad, I can't leave. I'm behind you, Junior said. Time to prove you're faster. Denny wiped icicles of salt water from his eyes and sprinted for the trees looking back every few seconds. He wasn't yet out of view when Junior got to his feet and started after him. Slow of foot and shambling, but finally sure of his direction. Beyond the pines lay the tracks, cut into the wild and then left to it. The pines a true tunnel now, obscuring the sky above and the world around the steel rails but the tracks were just where Junior knew they would be, shining and untouched by the powder and stretching on for miles left and right of where Denny stood looking at them. Denny bent down and touched the metal and recoiled his hand in a heartbeat. The track's hot, Denny said. Friction, 
Junior said, shivering and shambling over to warm his hands against the rail. What way, Dad? Denny asked. Junior looked to the sky and then back to Denny. This way, he said, and the two trudged on. The snow had come upon Sheriff Sizemore the same as it had all of West Michigan, without warning. It was now coming in sideways across the hood of his 4x4 cruiser and crowding the track that his headlights were drilling into the darkness ahead. Little white lines popping in and out of the center of the road like mad rabbits. He switched on the overhead flashers and settled the cruiser to 70 or so miles an hour. Alice, he said to the radio mounted on the dash. You there? Go ahead, Alice's voice came crackling through the radio. Line's shitty though, Ollie. Oliver balled a fist around the receiver and gave the dash a whack, but the signal kept crackling. That boy come back by the office since I've been out, Ollie asked. Not that I seen, Alice said through the crackles. Let me ask around. Ollie hung the receiver on its hook, eyed his mirrors all around, slowed just some, and took his next right flying. Tires slipping through the slush, spaddles of the gray and white mixture taking flight in his rear view. Each fleck a heretic among its dogmatic falling brethren that preached only down, down, down. The turn complete, the cruiser righted and settled and hitting 90 on the speedometer with ease. Snow coming directly at the windshield now, head on. And despite the nerves boiling the coffee in his stomach, Ollie couldn't help but think of himself as a pilot in some science fiction movie. Warp drive. Maybe more real than he thought. He thumbed the lobster matches in his pocket. Not the original lobster matches, no. Those had been a casualty in another story from eight years before. A time when the radio got funny and order broke down. This was a newer matchbook from a newer trip to an old place with his old gal. And he rubbed them all the same. Good luck, all the same. No one's seen him, Alice said, voice warbling like a bad cassette. Or a great one, maybe played too much. They must be out at the property still? Maybe left town? Ollie snagged the radio and crossed himself quickly the way his mother would have done. I'm heading that way. He fished for his cell in the seat next to him and dialed the one number he knew without looking. Hey, handsome, Thelma said. You coming home? Later than I want, Ollie said, and endeavored to keep his voice calm. Need your help, baby. What is it? Snow pelted the cruiser. Them boys I told you about, Calbarro's boys, they came by the station, got their keys and all, but I never heard from them again. And then this storm out of nowhere. I'm worried, Ollie, Velma interrupted. You be careful. Yes, ma'am. Ollie said. Listen, you got a line to the man upstairs that I don't. I'll... Don't want to hear about it, Vel, Ollie said, his own turn to interject. It's the truth. You call him for them boys. Okay, Velma said. And you call Hank for me. Have him come pick up a vat of that soup in the freezer. We're gonna need it. The prayers are free. Thelma said as the cruiser bounced down the road too fast and the wheel rattled in Ollie's left hand. And? Ollie asked. The rest will cost you in trade. For what? Ollie asked, eyes pinned down the road. My soup for my husband, Thelma said. Seems a good trade. You come home. You better hang up first then, Ollie said, meaning that he loved her. When he heard the click in his ear that told him the green phone wired into his kitchen wall had been set in its cradle, Ollie kicked the car up to a hundred and peered out into the sandblast night. The siren blared and headlights glared for miles. 125 it is then, he thought, and pressed the gas pedal to the cold, wet floor. He mouthed his own prayer for whatever it was worth coming from his mouth. Minutes passed and he repeated it again. 
and again. Snow fell like stars, and between those falling stars ahead, he saw two shuffling crouched shapes, one taller than the other. Alice, he barked into the radio, send everyone you can. I found him. The fire department garage was warm. Alice, the dispatch officer, had jacked the heat when the sheriff peeled into the lot, and the giant vents housed in the gray warehouse ceiling were blowing loud and hot. Junior and Denny were sitting together on the back bumper of Fire Engine 1. Denny next to him, enwrapped in blankets and drinking soup from his own thermos and regaling Hank, the giant deputy who had brought the soup, with the finer details of his battle with the giant tabby spider. The chicken soup in Junior's mouth was hot, nourishing, and limited in quantity by the firemen across from him. Take it slow, the latterman said. You'll puke and that's bad. Junior knew that, and if the latterman had been more than a fresh-faced kid, he'd have known Junior from his own time at the same job in the same station. He'd have known well what Junior knew. Junior let it go, sipped slow, hot, tasty. More was all he could really ask, but a friend had once said that enough was a feast. Junior now knew what he had meant. He looked to Denny, now describing his final killing blow. It was like, whoosh, Denny said, his arms out wide, fingers grazing Junior's face on the way up and again on the way down. Denny didn't notice. Hank laughed and Junior gave a weak but proud smile. Then what happened? Deputy Hank asked Denny with a wink. After you killed all the giant spiders. Dad fell in a pond and I pulled him out and we were lost and then the train came. The train? Hank asked, brows knitted tight. Yeah, Denny said, almost annoyed. The train, big metal thing, rumbled through the trees and Daddy found it and we followed the tracks to Ollie. Oh, Hank said and looked at Junior with a wrinkle of doubt and then back to Denny and smiled. You've got a big imagination, kid. Denny laughed and Hank gently slapped the boy's knee and stood to leave them, but on his way by Junior, his smile faded slightly and the knit brows returned. Only just so, but they were there, knitting away at the rogue hairs between the large man's brows. They connected eyes for a second and Hank nodded and went back outside to his cruiser. Junior looked out on all the flashing lights outside the garage. Half the city motor pool had been out there looking for them, and were now gathered in the street slapping each other on the back and celebrating a day where everyone out missing came home. Doing all right, Ollie asked, walking up to them. Hey, Junior said. Yeah, doing all right. Take a seat. Tell me something, Sheriff. Shoot, Ollie said. You hear Denny's story? Junior asked, nodding at the boy who was now telling the young latterman his spider story. About the spider? Ollie asked with a wink. No, Junior said and sipped his soup. About the train? Yeah, Ollie said with a smile. I figured you meant that. You heard it? Junior asked again. Only three or so times since I picked you up, Ollie said face straight as stone. Well, Junior said, making his face just as plain, his version is just about exactly what happened. Sheriff Sizemore nodded. So my question, why's Hank acting so weird about it? Junior asked, sipping his thermos. How's the soup? Ollie asked. My wife made it. Scratch. It's great, Junior said, sipping a warm and grateful wave in his guts. Tell her thank you from both of us. I will, Ollie said. But Sheriff, Junior said. Sir? Ollie nodded. The soup don't have a thing to do with what I asked. You want to know? Ollie asked. Really? Sure do, Junior said, eyes on Denny. There's no train that comes through there anymore, Ollie said. It must, Junior said. I heard it. So did Denny. Don't know what y'all heard, Ollie said, but I'm glad you heard it. 
It was the GR line, Junior said. The 1919. Sheriff Sizemore shook his head. I believe what you say, he said. Ain't here to call you crazy. Just happy you made it out of there. But Greenway Pass has been out these last five years. No money in the county coffer to fix old bridges. So that section of track is unusable past the county line. And all of it left unused since the Greenway went out. But, Junior began. It's okay, Ollie said and laid a hand on Junior's shoulder. It's okay. But they bypass that run of track altogether. They can run the same basic route through Allegan, you know? That's the truth of it. Junior sat a while, just staring at the lights outside and thinking of the old man with a face and manner just like his own. You okay? Ollie asked. Dad? Junior muttered. Maybe, Ollie said, his voice clean of doubt and judgment. I'm going to keep the keys, I think, Junior said. It's time to move home. I think so, Ollie said and clapped Junior on the leg. He stood and buzzed Denny's hair and walked out into the cold. The End This has been Pecan Pie. Written by Matthew Wayne, performed by Douglas Dorda. If you dig what you just listened to, like, comment, share, subscribe, rate, review, what have you, sure would mean a lot. Thanks for taking the time, folks.